just pray together. Thank you, Father, for this video that we've just seen. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to prepare our hearts for what you would speak to us this day. Father, we want to be receptive to your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That video said that one act can change a life forever. And that's very, very true. One act can forever change a person's life. But for, in order for there to be an act, there has to be a decision to act. It starts with the decision. It starts with the will. It says, Lord, I am going to do something. Do you believe that children are important? <laughs> Look around. I think we believe that, you know. We, we, we certainly show that, that we really believe that children are important here. And uh, certainly this is one opportunity that you have this morning of making a difference in the world in which we live. You can make an eternal difference in the life of an individual by sponsoring a child this morning. But there are other ways that you can change the world. Also through changing the life of children. And it doesn't mean sponsoring a child that's in, in a far off place that you've never even heard of. Uh, sometimes it's, it's closer to home. Belize is a country that I think a lot of us know. Um, some of us were born there or have come through there at some point in our lives. And uh, we have this morning with us Alex and Leah. They're going to come up and share a little bit about their ministry to children in Belize. And uh, we have invited them all the way from Belize to be here with us this weekend because uh, we want to partner with them. and We want to stand beside them in the work that they're doing. Uh, if you were here last night, you heard a little bit about their work. This is going to be a, a little bit of a condensed version of, uh, of what they're doing. So, God bless you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Steve. Buenos dias a todos. I'll say good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Uh, God is so good. You know, just this morning, uh, just going to church, and uh, it really feels like Jesus is just printed all over this place and uh, uh, it's really awesome to feel that feeling uh, God is here in this place and uh, like what Pastor uh, Steve said ah, I'm amazed so many people know Belize here you know you come through the customs and they don't know where Belize is you know but uh, it really feels home here and uh, so truly that we are blessed that we know a lot of people from this church that we went to Steinbach Bible College my name is Alexander Perez, and uh, this is my beautiful wife, Leah Perez. I was uh, born in Belize. Uh, we live in the city of Belize, uh, the only city that is there. And God really has a way of uh, taking you to a place like this. Uh, God gave us the calling of reaching the children for Christ. And uh, we have been working there for five years, uh, starting the mission field on reaching the children because we believe by reaching the child, we just don't reach the child but we reach the entire family and entire community and it's so true uh, you guys believe on children ministry and on youth ministry like it's all over your face like you can't hide that and um, it's really a privilege to know that you guys have that excitement because that really excites me that's like that's the soft uh, part of in my heart and my wife too but uh, in Belize people are getting on the vision you know when God sends you to do something and you say, God, but why children? Like, I can work with older people, you know, like I can gain wisdom from them. I can work with young people. But somehow he called us to reach children. 
And as we are working there, uh, the Lord really has a way of preparing people to do that. Give you a little bit of the statistics of Belize. Belize have uh, 321,000 people in Belize, very small country. Uh, part of that population uh, is that 55 of the population is under the age of 25, and 38 of that population are under the age of 14. So it tells you very much that it's a very young country, and if you ever come to visit us, you go all over the city of Belize like uh, Pete and Ike did, you know, I have children running all over the streets. And it's such a huge opportunity to reach the children. And they're not being uh, taken, they're not being um, reached out. And so we have the privilege to work on a very young country and I'm very excited for that. Right now I'm going to give my wife the opportunity to share a little bit story on how you, know, you go about changing people's lives by reaching children. I want to share with you one um, encouraging story that we had this summer. Um, it's the story of Tina. Yeah, there's Tina for you. Um, Tina lives in a community just eight miles outside of Belize City. It's a commuting, a commuting community. Um, about 2,000 residents live there. And um, there's only one established church, and it's practically empty. And so Tina in that community had been there for a while, and she said she just noticed the kids walking around the streets aimlessly and just had it in her heart to start a backyard Bible club by, her, by herself. And so she started that, and then she realized in the summertime, the kids are literally locked in their houses while their parents have to go to work. And so she decided last summer to do a camp. Um, they were expecting about 25 kids, that's how many came to their camp, and they ended up with almost 75. So she got in contact with us and asked us if this past summer we would help her do a summer camp. And so we were able to organize some more helpers and help her with curriculum in the program. And we had over 100 kids attend. And that, we did it at that small church in the community. And the elder of that church was so surprised, he had no idea that there was that many kids in the community. Um, the most encouraging story of that whole thing happened after camp. On the very last day, Tina went home to drop off her kids as well as some other kids in the community before returning to the church to debrief with us and our team. And um, on the way home, she ran into the mother of some of the children, a mother of five, and she was holding the salvation bracelet in her hand that we had given the kids to take home. She came up to Tina and she said, Do you, do you know what this is? And Tina's just like, do you know what this is? And so the mom said, you know, she didn't really remember what all of the colors stand for. And so Tina walked her through, you know, the black bead and the red bead and the white bead, the one she thought was most important. And the mother said with tears in her eyes that, you know, it had been years since she'd been to church. She grew up in a Christian family, but since she got married, they, she's just completely fallen away. And now she wasn't ready to share with Tina her whole story, but after their short conversation, the mother said, you know, she really wants to try to go back to church now. And this is a family that before camp had only moved into the community a few weeks before and mostly kept to themselves. But it was through the children that Tina, who lives and works there, had an open door to this family. And how many other stories we don't know that happen um, after we impact those kids. And so that was really a really big encouragement to us to hear that. And uh, I hope it's encouraged you as well. 
in closing, I just want to say, um, you know, after seeing videos like we saw from Compassion or hearing encouraging stories, we don't mean to manipulate you, um, you know, through sad stories or happy stories. Um, I heard one organization say that it feels like the only way they can get people to give is they, if they appeal to their emotions, you know, make the people cry. And when they go into their pockets for a tissue, they end up pulling out their wallet instead. And it's kind of funny, but it's true. Some people only give if they feel the emotion to give, but we don't want that. We want people to give because they love God and they love their neighbor. And that's all we're asking. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that's what we want to do today. We want to motivate to action. You know, I I heard this story of a uh, a kind of a middle-aged couple that were living in Michigan. And the wife had said to her husband, yeah, I just really wish the kids could be here for this Thanksgiving. And so the husband got on the phone to his son who lived in New York. And uh, his son answered the phone. He said, you know, I I just wanted to call you and tell you that your mother and I, after being married for so many years, we've decided that we're going to get a divorce. We just don't like each other anymore. And we're just going to end it. We're going to get divorced. So you go ahead and call your sister in California and you can tell her the news. And he hung up the phone. And and the son was just distraught. He called his sister up in California. He said, Mom and Dad are getting a divorce. What are we going to do? The sister got right back on the phone, called her dad in Michigan, said, Dad, don't do anything. We're both on a plane. We're going to fly. We're going to be there in the morning. Just make sure you don't do anything until we get there. And then she hung up. And the husband turned to his wife and said, Good news. Both the kids are going to be here for Thanksgiving. And we don't have to pay for their tickets. We, we don't want to motivate by guilt this morning. We don't want to motivate with a, in, a, in not a good way. But, but what is Thanksgiving all about? And why are we here? What does Thanksgiving mean to you? We understand the meaning of Christmas. We understand the meaning of Easter. But what does Thanksgiving really mean to you? It's more than just a time when you get together with family and eat turkey. What are the roots of Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving became an official Canadian holiday way back January the 31st, 1957. It was then that the Canadian Parliament made this proclamation. They said that Thanksgiving is to be a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest with which Canada has been blessed. So it was a celebration of harvest, a celebration of God's faithfulness. But to truly understand the roots of thanksgiving, you have to go back even a little bit further than that. I think as kids in school, we were all taught about that first thanksgiving, that day when the pilgrims came on the Mayflower and and they had that, that thanksgiving meal. And the story of that goes all the way back to 1621. But you know what? While they taught us that story in school, They didn't really teach us the whole story. So today I want to talk about, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story with us today. Actually, if you go back before 1621, all the way back to 1605, there was a Native American Indian by the name of Squanto. Squanto lived in a village that was right on the East Coast. And it was in 1605 
that Squanto met his first white man. It was a man by the name of John Weymouth. He was an explorer. He was there, and they were taking surveys up and down the eastern coast of the United States, looking for areas where settlement could be made. And John Weymouth and Squanto developed an immediate relationship with one another. They really liked each other. And so John Weymouth said, you know, would you join me and come back to England with me for three years? And that's what Squanto did. He got on the ship, he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean, and he spent three years in England. While he was there, he learned English and a little bit about the English culture. And after three years, he was put back on a boat, and he came back and went back to his tribe. But when Squanto returned to North America, he met another Englishman. And this guy wasn't nearly as nice as John Weymouth. The man he met was a guy by the name of Thomas Hunt. He was the lieutenant of John Smith, who we read about and see in that movie Pocahontas. Thomas Hunt was not a kind man. And when he met Squanto, he kidnapped him. He chained him up. He put him on a ship that was bound for Spain. And when he got to Spain, Squanto, as well as a number of other North American Indians were sold into slavery. But Squanto was fortunate. He was purchased by a Spanish monk. And this Spanish monk didn't treat him like a slave. In fact, this monk treated him more like a brother. And he taught him about Jesus Christ. And in time, Squanto became a follower of Jesus Christ. He lived in Spain for many years. Eventually, this monk was able to buy his freedom and he was able to travel to England, and then he was able, ten years after he had been kidnapped, to find his way back to North America. But it was there that he learned more very bad news. That when Squanto went back to his village, he found out that because the white man had visited that village, that there had been a smallpox epidemic. And the entire tribe, his entire family, had been wiped out by smallpox. Now think about this. Think about this guy. He's sold into slavery, put on a ship in chains, sold like a, a, like a cattle. Ten years of his life gone. He returns only to find out that because of the white men, his entire village, his family, his mother, his father, all of his relatives, they were all dead. He could have become very bitter. He could have been very angry. And yet what happened to Squanto? He heard that more white people had come on a ship called the Mayflower. And these people had had a very bad first winter. Of the hundred and two pilgrims who set foot on Plymouth Rock, only 42 survived the first winter. The rest froze to death, died of disease during that first winter. And Squanto had mercy on these pilgrims. And so he came and he moved into their village. He taught them how to build homes that were insulated, 
that could survive the cold. He taught them how to plant corn. And with their help, he was able to help them plant over 20 acres of corn. He helped them negotiate with the neighboring tribes of Indians that lived around that area. It was because of Squanto and because of Squanto alone that the pilgrims survived. And it was because of Squanto that that fall the pilgrims gathered together and with Squanto's help with some of the surrounding Native American tribes and they had that first Thanksgiving meal. He is the picture of a person whose life was so transformed that even though he had experienced pain and heartache in his own life, he was able to extend mercy to others as well. William Bradford was the first governor of that pilgrim colony. And in his book, Bradford's History of the English Settlement, he wrote this about Squanto, who died a few years later. He said, Squanto fell ill of Indian fever, bleeding much at the nose, which the Indians take as a symptom of death, and within a few years he died. But before he died, he said to the governor that he was looking forward to going to the white man's heaven, to meeting Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. And here was a guy that's life had been transformed. How about you? Thanksgiving is a time of looking backward at what God has done in the past year. And can I say to you that we as a church have so many reasons to be thankful. So many things that God has blessed us in this past year. But we don't want to spend this Thanksgiving simply looking backwards. We also want to look forward. We want to say, Lord, are there opportunities, are there things before us in the coming years when we can be a blessing? Where we who have been blessed with so much can take what we have received and we can step forward and change the life of people in the year to come. That's what I want to motivate you to do. That's what I want to challenge you with this morning. You know, we have a number of people who this past year accepted God's challenge to step out of their comfort zone, to do something different. And because they made that decision, because they made that choice, God bless them. I'd like to call up uh, some folks Maggie and Susie and Pete and Judy. Just have them share about some of their experiences that, uh, that they had over this past year. First of all, I'm going to ask uh, Judy and Pete. Uh, you guys had a, a bit of an adventure recently. Why don't you uh, come and share a little bit about what happened with that? Um, good morning, everyone. Um, so two weeks ago, Pete and I got the chance to go to Haiti. It was only for a week, but um, God definitely moved in that week more than I um, expected. Um, we went with an organization called Adventures in Missions, and um, their purpose is more uh, relationship building, not so much let's go and build something and, and uh, let's go and fix something, because buildings can fall, they will not last forever, but a relationship with Jesus Christ will last forever, and it can affect their physical needs when they when they uh, develop that trust with God. Um, do you want to say anything? Um, 
This trip was definitely a challenge because it was more meeting their spiritual needs, which is, I like the more hands-on stuff, like building stuff, but I figured, why not? God's calling me to do it, so I'm going to go. Um, one of the things I'll never forget is when our leader, Steve, told us a story of um, an orphanage just a few buildings down from where we were staying. Um, up until a few months ago, they had been partnering with this orphanage, but they uh, learned some disturbing things that were going on there. And in order to prove that, they sent in some translators to, as like undercover to see if it was true. Um, these people discovered that the children there were being sold into slavery and into the sex trade. Um, and because of that, they, the, uh, the head guy of the orphanage was actually arrested and put in prison for 10 years. But pretty much the next day, this man's son and daughter-in-law took over and just continued doing the exact same thing. Um, as a result, uh, AIM pulled out their support. They no longer support the orphanage. And uh, we actually had the uh, chance to go right in front of this orphanage and just pray for it. But uh, before we started praying, Steve told us that uh, there was a man sitting just right across the street from us who was actually a voodoo priest. And uh, the entire time we were praying, I was just staring at this man, and at first, at first just felt, I just felt the hatred towards us, like this man just absolutely hated us. But by the time we were done praying, it felt like he was scared, like he knew that no matter what he did to us, we weren't going to stop praying for him and, that, and for this orphanage and just praying that things would change there. And I just want to encourage you all to just please just pray for this orphanage, pray for these children. They, uh, they're going through a horrible thing right now and they, they just need to, they need your prayer. What would you say to a, a room full of people that are looking at you guys and thinking, no, I could never do that. I, I, I could never do something like that. How would you encourage them? Um, I know for a lot of you it might be difficult to just up and go somewhere. Um, if God is, is putting that on your heart, then you definitely need to obey. I have um, lived in a lot of disobedience, and God kind of just smacked me and said, listen, like you know you need to do this. And for me, it was only a week. Um, and so if for some reason you can't go, there is no limit to how you can help them. Um, a bag of water, which their eyes just lit up when they saw this, is two cents, and they can't afford this on a daily basis. Um, just give your money, give your time, your prayers. Um, if you can't go, don't think you're limited to just sitting here and doing nothing. There's always something you can do. Um, and these, it means so much more to these kids than um, you will ever imagine. I actually had a little boy come up to me in one of the tent cities, um, I don't remember what I was doing, but this boy just tugged on my shirt, and so I turned around, and he must have been about five or six years old, and he wasn't wearing any clothes, he didn't have anything on him, um, and he just pointed to his stomach, and he's just like, hungry, hungry, and um, you can't just give someone something in a tent city without being attacked until you have no clothes on your back, so I couldn't just hand out my water bottle or something, I just, I had to say to him, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm sorry, and I had to walk away, and it just crushed my heart, and like, all he wanted was food, he's not asking for the world, he's not asking for anything, he's asking just to live, and to see that firsthand was, is so much, um, it's so much harder than to just hear about it and to see it on TV, so 
it's the little things that matter. Don't, don't limit yourselves just because you can't physically go. Amen. Thanks, guys. Maggie and Susie uh, had a, a little bit of a longer experience and a little bit farther away, and maybe they can share a little bit about what they were doing. Okay, so Maggie and I went to China, Guangzhou, China, in, uh, it was this past summer for six weeks. Um, it was an amazing experience. Um, we taught English there at a, a Christian private school, which is actually illegal there. So that was interesting. Um, but what I did was I taught the three to five-year-olds, and then the schedule kind of changed, and I did different things. And um, we taught them basic English. We did devotions with them. We, t- we uh, led the worship. We sang with them. And Maggie taught the older kids. And uh, I think the oldest ones were 13, 15, 15, I think. Um, one of the main highlights for China for me was just watching the way the Christians in China lived because it was not just a Sunday Sunday kind of thing. It was all, all week long, you know, like they were worshiping God and everything they did. I mean, we, we went to Bible studies throughout the week that um, our fellow, you know, English teachers went to and, and it was kind of risky because we weren't even allowed to be in some of them because as soon as they noticed white people going, going into the Bible studies, then... Uh, the police get involved or or things happen where they where they break up the bible study but we were able to attend one of them and they they locked the door they they closed the curtains they they kept like looking out the window to see if anyone was coming and um actually one of our one of our church experiences on the sunday morning we we got to attend a house church where where there was only a few people probably 15 or 15 or less, um, and we, we weren't really allowed to sing. Like, they normally didn't sing because um, it, it caused too much attention, and, like, pe- the neighbors would call the cops and things like that. So we, we were allowed to sing one song that day, and we sang the song, Be Thou My Vision, and um, he had it just playing really quietly, and he said, don't sing too loud because... The neighbors might, you know, they might call the police and then we can't do our service. So we were trying to sing really quiet and um, it was just so amazing though how that one song um, just evoked so many emotions in everyone. I mean, we were, we were, we had our eyes closed, everyone had their hands in the air and like we, like everyone had tears running down their face by the end. It was one song, we weren't even allowed to pour our hearts out singing it. I mean, we had to sing really quiet. And everyone was just so passionate into it. So the fire in their hearts was just amazing to see, and it was so inspiring for us coming back. Uh, One thing that I really appreciated while we were there is just getting to know um, the Chinese people, I guess. I think six weeks was enough time for us to get a feel for what they go through. Um, And just being able to hear their stories, the way that they became Christians was often really uh, it really touched, touched our hearts because it's so, so foreign to what we go through here. And um, just the different problems that they have too, which is also so different, um, such as the one-child policy um, and forced abortions. And some of the teachers we knew, they, had to, they got fired because they were having a second child and refused to abort. Things like that that we don't even think about when um, here in North America. So something that um, 
that was something that you just can't get here is getting to know the people out there and uh, you realize that we're not the, that North America is not the center of the world and that people have different problems elsewhere. What would you guys say to anyone who's here and thinking to themselves, China? I mean, that's a long way away and there's a, a lot of money that's involved and there's just no way I could do that. Um, I would just say, like, the most, I think the most valuable part, the most valuable thing that we came back with is um, the relationships you build. And so um, just anyone who would think about it is just to say that um, the most rewarding part about going on a mission trip is building relationships with other people and letting them touch you. And so I would just say, um, whether it's here in Leamington or Windsor, working with kids, uh, becoming a big sister, a big brother, or working in a soup kitchen, or going overseas to, uh, to meet somebody who's part of a completely different culture, the, most, the, the best thing that will probably happen to you is being, being able to meet these people and find out their stories and just get to know them. So to build relationships is so valuable. Great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. For Again, I think it comes back to making a decision. It comes back to setting your heart to do something. If you will do that, if you will say, God, I will make myself available. I will make myself available to be used of you. God will give you opportunity. And you'll be saying, well, you know, I'm not a young adult. I'm not going to go off and I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Well, maybe God isn't calling you to do that. Maybe God isn't calling you to go around the world. Maybe God is calling you to simply go across the street. And share the gospel with the person who is there. Or maybe God has something else. But what I want to encourage you to do this Thanksgiving is to say, God, I am willing to go wherever you want me to go. God, if you want me to do this, I will do it. God, if you want me to lay down my life here, I will do it. If you want me to serve here, that's what I will do. If you will simply say, yes, God, I am willing. I am willing. God will give you the opportunities. And you know what? There seems like there's a lot of challenges, but I heard them, both of the, the different teams were saying, you know, how are we going to raise the money? How are we going to do this? How? If you will make the decision, God will make sure that you get there. He will make sure that He supplies everything that you need. Put the words in your mouth to speak when those words are required. But it starts with a decision. So this day... This Thanksgiving Day, what can you do? How do you know what a thankful person is? A thankful person is a person who you see that there's a changed life. That was evident in the life of Squanto. Even though he had been through incredible hardships in his life, he still lived a life of gratitude. We're going to end with a video, and as the video is playing, the worship team is going to come up onto the stage. But... This video is called The Thanksgiving Chair, The Place of Thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? Are you living a life of thankfulness? And are you teaching others around you to be thankful as well? Let's watch this video.